This is the Sideline Dissident Podcast, coming to you from iTunes and YouTube. Follow me on Twitter, at the Brad Whitaker. I am the Brad Whitaker. Good one for you today, as always. Uh, talking about the Oakland Raiders, or the Las Vegas Raiders, or the San Diego Raiders. There's a development on the Raiders' move to Vegas, and it's not looking good if you are... A person in Vegas that roots for the Raiders deal may be falling through. And then I'm going to talk about a rumored trade. Uh, Boston Celtics reportedly interested in bringing in Jimmy Butler. Uh, I'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, But first, uh, in the NBA, Charles Barkley recently called out LeBron James, his royal highness. How dare he? Uh, if, If you haven't been paying attention... Uh, last week, uh, LeBron James said uh, he he was critical of the Cavaliers' front office, and he was saying his team doesn't have enough depth and not enough playmakers other than, obviously, LeBron, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love. Not sure Tristan Thompson felt very good about that statement, but that's what LeBron James said. Uh, he's a little bit upset. But uh, now that this is kind of digested a little bit, uh, Charles Barkley was quite critical of LeBron, and uh, I agree with him, to be honest. Now, let me uh, just say, I'm a LeBron James fan. I say this pretty much every podcast. I think LeBron should have won the MVP his second year in the league and won it every year since because the Most Valuable Player award should actually go to the most valuable player. Uh, And I think, you know, by the end of his career, we'll be calling LeBron James the greatest player in NBA history. I really believe that. And I even think we should be having that conversation right now. I think he's that good. I think he has a few great seasons left in him. Uh, He seems to hold up his body well, understand nutrition, understand rest, and uh, he doesn't get hurt often. Uh, That being said... Uh, Charles Barkley responded to LeBron's claim that the Cavs have no play ba- playmakers or depth other than Kyrie and Kevin. And uh, this is what Barkley said on TNT last night. Uh, he said, What LeBron said was inappropriate, whiny, all of the above. The Cleveland Cavaliers, they have given him everything he wanted. They have the highest payroll in NBA history. He wanted J.R. Smith last summer. They paid him. He wanted Iman Shumpert last summer. They brought in Kyle Korver. He's the best player in the world. Does he want all of the good players? He don't want to compete. He is an amazing player. They're the defending champs. End quote. Charles Barkley is right. And as a result, the Cleveland Cavaliers are $30 million over the salary cap. They put, pay a tremendous luxury tax because of it. And they do have a lot of good players. They needed a shooter, so they brought in Kyle Korver. How many teams could do that? LeBron has a lot of pull over this organization. Uh, as we saw last year, it wasn't Dan Gilbert who fired David Blatt. It was LeBron James. Let's be clear about that. And it was the right choice, clearly. Uh, The Cavs clearly were a better team uh, after David Blatt left. (laughs) Poor David Blatt, by the way. Uh, But then LeBron James responded to Charles Barkley saying, he's a hater, 
I'm not going to let him disrespect my legacy like that. Again, I am a big fan of LeBron James. I think we, you could argue right now he's the greatest player in NBA history. But he's just flat out wrong. First of all, Barkley never said anything about LeBron's legacy. And players shouldn't be talking about their legacy, especially in the middle of a season. They shouldn't talk about their legacy at all. I think that should be a media thing that we throw around. Talking about who the greatest player ever is, that should be a media thing. If you want to be a great player at your sport, you focus on your sport. And as we've seen, we saw it last season with the cryptic tweets, the rumors about LeBron might leave Cleveland, and we saw a little bit of it the year before uh, when he first went back to Cleveland. Uh... LeBron seems to have this annual mid-season melodrama, and there's a few theories behind it, that he's he's trying to fire up his teammates, or uh, these distractions are actually good for the rest of the team, They want he wants players to step up, and, and it worked with Kevin Love, he was quite critical of Kevin Love two seasons ago, and uh, Love became a much better role player because of it, after he was the man in Minnesota for a few seasons, uh, but... The weird thing about all of this is the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to be just fine. All right? Sure, they've lost seven of their last 11 games, but the Celtics, who are red hot, they're still two and a half games behind the Cavs. And even if Cleveland somehow drops to the fourth or fifth seed in the Eastern Conference and this lull continues, which it will not, they're not going to be a four or five seed. At the very worst, they'll be a three, two seed. That's it. All right. But they'll probably still be the number one seed in the East once the season comes to an end. But even if the Cavs somehow drop to fourth, fifth, or sixth in the Eastern Conference, is seeding really going to prevent them from going to the NBA Finals? I don't think so. And that's why I find this whole situation so strange. Cleveland went into the season with the right state of mind. They're arresting players in November and December and January, even though the media was critical of them. They understand that you need to be peaking in April, May, and June. And that this early season basketball just doesn't matter. Especially in today's NBA that is so top-heavy. Look, I'm a Celtics fan. I love the Celtics, but they're not going to beat the Cavs with the roster they have. They're not going to beat them. They might make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. The Celtics might push Cleveland to six games. You could say the same thing about Toronto. You could say the same thing about Indiana. Even maybe the Wizards. But none of those teams are getting past Cleveland, barring a significant injury. I don't think they're getting past Cleveland as long as LeBron James is out there. He could have Kyrie and Kevin out like he did in the Finals two years ago. Those teams aren't getting by the Cavaliers unless they bring in another superstar, which I think the Celtics are trying to do, but it's still going to take a lot. I just don't understand what this worry about depth and and having enough playmakers is. Look, Cleveland did not show up to play when they played the Warriors on the road, what was it, a week ago, two weeks ago? But as we saw on Christmas Day, they're more than capable of beating them right now. These mid-season lulls happen. All right, It's an 82-game season, far too long when considering, and you can say the same thing about hockey, far too long of a season when considering how physical of a sport the NBA is. 
And these guys, I mean, this isn't like baseball where they play 162 games, but they spend three or four or five nights in the same city. All right, these guys are traveling all the time. Not enough time for practice. There's a preseason, and then the NBA playoffs is nearly three months long. What are you doing complaining about depth and not having enough playmakers at the end of January? It just doesn't make any sense. So yes, I don't know what it is that triggered LeBron. Was it because Barkley called him whiny or he said he wasn't a competitor? I don't know, but these these are the kind of things you're supposed to ignore. All right? Don't be whiny, LeBron. Be objective about your team. Be a professional. It's the same team you had last year, plus Kyle Korver. Right? They're going to be just fine. Yes, I know they don't have Mozgov, but... uh, I mean, the Golden State Warriors, that's the team they have to beat. They're not as deep as they were last year, and although they brought in Kevin Durant... They're not going to be able to play physical basketball for a seven-game series, even as well as they did last year, which they struggled with. And I think Cleveland matches up very well, longevity-wise. I don't know if that's a word, longevity-wise, but it just doesn't make sense that LeBron is going out like this. Stop being triggered by criticism, LeBron. Take a page out of the Tom Brady playbook, all right? Just take the high road. It's not very hard. If you're truly great and you're a real professional, you need to take the high road. Look, I I agree with Charles Barkley. It wasn't even that sharp of a criticism. I don't really understand why this is what uh, he's freaking out about. It just doesn't make sense to me. But that doesn't matter. Uh, You know, well, the Cavaliers will be fine. They're two and a half games up on the Celtics still, even losing seven of their last 11 games. Uh, They're... They're going to be the top seed in the Eastern Conference in all likelihood. And even if they're not, it's not a big deal. They were the two seed to the Hawks a couple years ago, and they did just fine making it back to the finals, even without uh, a lot of their superstars out there. So I, I, I've been saying, I've said it past on the podcast, that uh, I I think the Oakland Raiders are a better fit for the city of Los Angeles than they are even in Oakland. I really do. And, uh, you know, obviously they're not going to move to L.A. They have two teams here already. Three teams is a little too much, even in a city as massive as Los Angeles. Uh, but, you know, I, I've lived here for a couple years now, and you see Raiders fans all over the place. You don't see Chargers fans. I mean, you see them in Orange County. You Obviously, you see them down in San Diego. But there really aren't that many up here in L.A. And then uh, Rams fans. There are barely any Rams fans. Certainly not many under the age of 55 years old. Most of the Rams fans are left over from when they were in Los Angeles back in the 90s. But I will say this about the Raiders. Las Vegas does seem like a good fit. 
you know, they're still close to L.A. and the Bay Area. You know, there's there's lots of flights every day that leave from the Bay Area or from Los Angeles, lots of airports that make those quick, cheap flights to uh, Vegas. It's a, it's a layover city if you're traveling across the country from the West Coast. Uh, Vegas feels very Raiders, that kind of environment. Uh, you know, there's lots of room to build a stadium. Uh, Mark Davis is more flexible than his father, Al Davis. Uh, his only real asset is this team, unlike Al Davis, who's more of a businessman. And it's very easy because, you know, uh, Nevada doesn't have the same tax structure California has, and they can just put in a simple hotel tax, and that can fund a substantial portion of the Vegas stadium. Uh, but there's been some developments, and uh, I did a piece on this a couple weeks ago, it seemed like the Raiders moving to Vegas was all but a done deal. But Sheldon Adelson, he's the one who is a, he's a billionaire casino mogul. He's a big wig in uh, donations to the Republican Party, particularly uh, presidential candidates. Uh, he backed out on Monday. And uh, he was supposed to commit about $650 million for the projected $1.9 billion stadium project in Las Vegas. By the way, $1.9 billion can go a lot further in Las Vegas than it goes in Los Angeles. Uh, But Allison was skeptical about doing this, and we slowly saw him... uh, We slowly saw that skepticism develop over these last couple of weeks, and... uh, you know, the Nevada governor, Brian Sandoval, he took note of this skepticism and he just went ahead with the proposal without Adelson's money going forward. He actually said the state would commit $1.15 billion to the project, which would fund most of the stadium. But you still need money elsewhere. Obviously, there's a Las Vegas hotel tax. But the other key investor in this, other than Sheldon Adelson, was Goldman Sachs. The idea was you have Sheldon Adelson and Goldman Sachs. They'll fund most of the project, or half the project, and then the state and the city pitches in the rest. But, now that Adelson's pulled out, it's seeming unlikely that Goldman Sachs is going to go forward with the funding. uh, Because Adelson and Goldman Sachs have a good relationship. And if Adelson won't sign off as an investor, it's highly unlikely that Goldman Sachs will take the risk. And uh, to make matters worse, this is a story that uh, came out today, uh, the Clark County Commissioner, Clark County is the county in Nevada where Las Vegas is, uh, their commissioner told the San Jose Mercury News, quote, if Adelson doesn't think it will pencil out for him, it won't pencil out for Goldman Sachs or anybody else that thinks they they want to step up to it. I hate to say it, some of my concerns are starting to bear out. I don't think Mr. Davis cared either about either community, ours, Las Vegas, or Oakland. He's using us against each other. And he might be right. I mean, this does happen. NFL owners do this. The most famous example I can think of is uh, Robert Kraft. He's the owner of the Patriots. He used the city of Hartford, Connecticut to gain leverage in building a new stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts for the Patriots. Patriots played in this old shithole for a while, and uh, they needed a new stadium, and this was before they were the dynasty that they are now. Kraft said, hey, why don't we just move the team to Hartford? And everyone in Connecticut was all excited. They were thinking about funding the stadium. 
but he was just using that as leverage to try to get Foxborough to build him a new stadium, which he did, and uh, it worked out. So this does happen, and it's entirely possible that Mark Davis is considering trying to use this leverage of moving to Las Vegas as a way to get Oakland to build a stadium. But it doesn't sound like Oakland wants to build a stadium. I don't think this is the same example uh, as Robert Kraft with the Patriots, despite what the Clark County Commissioner says. Uh, But just three weeks ago, it seemed like all the financing was lined up for the Vegas move. But now the Raiders will need to get a lot done in order to be approved by, what is it, March 20... March, sometime in mid-March, they're meeting in Phoenix, and uh, they'll have to get the approval of 24 of the 32 NFL team owners. Now, I think it's possible the league could pitch money in. Uh, They seem like they're, Roger Goodell and and the rest of the NFL seems like they're big fans of this Vegas move. They want it to happen. Uh, You know, obviously the Niners will still stay in the Bay Area. That's a massive market. Uh, but something I never thought about was floated out today by uh, Kevin Acey of the San Diego Union-Tribune. He said, could the Raiders replace the Chargers in San Diego? This sounds crazy, I know, but listen to this. Here's what Acey wrote, quote, It is well known that the Raiders owner Mark Davis loves San Diego, and some close to him believe he would prefer the market over remaining in Oakland. The roadblocks to a new San Diego stadium for any NFL team would be similar to those present for years as the city and the Chargers were negotiating, but there is a thought that Davis would be more willing and flexible negotiating partner than the San Diego Chargers were, end quote. Obviously, building a California stadium is very expensive because of the tax structure, uh, which is why the San Diego voters rejected a stadium downtown time and time again. And they needed a two-thirds majority. They weren't even close. They didn't even get 50%. But if Davis could find the right investors, or the NFL is really serious about pitching in money, uh, perhaps it's possible the Raiders could move to San Diego. It just seems odd to me. I'm sure it's odd to you, but then again, I think the Rams and the Chargers sharing a stadium in LA is also extremely odd, and that that's happening. So who knows what could happen I think the Raiders should have moved to L.A., and then the Chargers should have stayed in San Diego, and maybe the Raiders could share a stadium with the Rams, but that's not what's playing out. So the Raiders are in an interesting situation because they didn't jump on the city of L.A. like uh, other, like uh, the Chargers and the Rams did. So who knows? It's possible Mark Davis is just doing this to gain leverage, uh, like Robert Kraft did with the Patriots in Hartford, Connecticut, but... Uh, The Raiders are in a tough situation. I wouldn't be surprised if they stay in Oakland another year and then try to get funding elsewhere. But uh, this Vegas move is looking unlikely at this point. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. So uh, it seems like every rumor in the last uh, three NBA seasons, every blockbuster trade rumor has involved the Boston Celtics. 
Uh, so whenever you hear a Celtics rumor, take it with a grain of salt because they haven't made any major blockbuster, blockbuster move yet. Uh, Danny Ainge, the general manager of the Celtics, he's been very patient. Uh, but the Celtics, again, they've been potential players in just about every blockbuster deal floating around for about three years now. And that's because they have the assets to make any major deal they want. They have arguably the deepest bench in the NBA. Certainly Brad Stevens knows how to rotate his players better than most coaches in the league do, and he's only been in for a few seasons. Uh, but more importantly, the Celtics, they've had Brooklyn's first-round pick. Uh, they got last Brooklyn's first-round pick from last year. They have this year's first-round pick from Brooklyn. And next year, they acquired all of those in the trade uh, years ago when they dealt away Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and the Nets were suddenly a title contender. How did that work out for them? Uh, now, Brooklyn looks to be the clear-cut worst team in the NBA this season. They're way back. I think they're like six or seven games back at the second-worst record in the league, uh, meaning Boston's 2017 first-round pick, uh, which is really Brooklyn's pick, has tremendous value. Now, rumors have been floating around that Phil Jackson wants to trade Carmelo Anthony before the February 23rd trade deadline, uh, and the two leading candidates that were floated out were the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, but it do- it seems highly unlikely. Brad Stevens said he'd be willing, but Danny Ainge sounds hesitant to trade for Carmelo Anthony. And I think it's understandable. You know, this. I- I'm sorry, I'm not going out on a limb by saying Carmelo Anthony can be a bit of a ball hog, not a great team player. He wants to run ISO plays to himself often. He doesn't always play defense as well as he should. His head isn't always there. He can create distractions, as we've seen this season in New York. And uh, I ju- that just doesn't seem like the kind of player that would fit into Boston, a team that passes the ball five or six times before they shoot, except in the fourth quarter when they just give it to Isaiah Thomas. Uh, but... Boston doesn't seem to want Melo, but they could help bring Anthony to the Clippers in a three-team deal, and they've expressed interest in doing that. And I wouldn't be surprised if that deal happens, if the Celtics bring back Paul Pierce for the final months of his NBA career. That would be certainly exciting. I'm a Celtics fan. I would enjoy that very much. Uh, But in all likelihood, Danny Ainge will wait it out and let the phone calls come to him as he always has. Um... Now, it hasn't seemed like teams have expressed a ton of interest in Boston's picks, uh, but now a new rumor is floating around. It was started, uh, I believe it was started by Casey Johnson of the Chicago Tribune, uh, who wrote, quote, There are rival executives who believe the Bulls and Celtics will rekindle trade talks centered on Jimmy Butler before the February 23rd deadline. The teams held serious talks back in June, and the Celtics own the same assets. The names that are floated around on Boston's end were uh, Jay Crowder, great defender, probably the most underrated defender in the NBA, Marcus Smart, uh, the Nets' first-round picks in 2017 and 2018, which could very likely be the number one pick in the draft. Um, And this seems odd that Jimmy Butler's name would be floating around, uh, but with the Bulls' recent dysfunction, you know, Rondo has been nothing but a distraction all season. And then he called out, and him and a bunch of the players called out Dwayne Wade, saying he wasn't trying hard enough in practice. And obviously there's some chemistry issues on the floor. The Bulls looked good for about two weeks, and then all hell broke loose. 
it's entirely possible that Chicago will want to blow the entire team up. Now, it seems like, at least after the Knicks traded Derrick Rose, they're going, do we build the team around Derrick Rose, or do we build it around Jimmy Butler? The answer was obvious with Rose's health, his lack of consistency, that Jimmy Butler was the player to build things around. But then, the Bulls in the offseason brought in Dwayne Wade, chewed up a ton of salary cap space because he wanted, what, $4 million more than the Heat gave him? And then Rajon Rondo. And that just changed everything. And it's like, what is the Bulls' front, off, front office strategy here? Are they trying to build around Butler? So I, I un- honestly don't see the incentive for Chicago to trade Jimmy Butler, but they haven't indicated, at least in the offseason when they brought in Rondo and D. Wade, that they want to build around Butler. And uh, if that's the case, if they want to completely rebuild their team, which they might because, you know, Rondo and Wade aren't going to last in Chicago forever, and then uh, Jimmy Butler is really their biggest asset, Boston has the same assets. And the Bulls are far from contending in the East right now. They can't just add a playmaker, a couple pieces, and suddenly they can contend with the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's just not going to happen. So the front office seriously has to think about blowing up the whole team and starting to rebuild. And if that's the case, this Jimmy Butler to the Boston Celtics deal makes a lot of sense. Boston clearly wants Butler. He's a, he would be a perfect fit for the Celtics. He already has connections to Boston. He, he was friends with Mark Wahlberg before uh, Jimmy Butler even became a household name. Uh, he's a defensive-minded player, three-time defensive second team. Uh, he seems He's disciplined. He tweaks his game every year. Uh, he plays teams ba- team basketball, doesn't create many distractions. Brad Stevens could do a lot with Jimmy Butler out there, and they're really missing one playmaker from contending in the East. Now, if the Celtics do trade for Jimmy Butler, do I think they can beat the Cavaliers right now? Probably not, because they still need a rebounder, but it's certainly possible. They're certainly in contention, at least, if they can bring in a player like Butler and only lose a Jay Crowder or a Marcus Smart, and they have these draft picks. I wish they could wait on. Um, Now, uh, this type of blockbuster trade typically doesn't happen around this time in the NBA season. Uh, teams want to know where draft picks fall. This isn't this isn't like the NFL where the worst team automatically gets the first pick. Uh, the worst team has a 25% chance of getting the uh, first pick because they do a lottery and the worst team, the team with the worst record gets the most lottery balls. Uh, but this is supposedly a very, a very deep, NBA draft. So even if this Brooklyn pick doesn't fall at number one, if it's number two or number three or number four, uh, they could still bring in a superstar or a potential superstar uh, with that pick. So Brooklyn will likely have the most lottery balls, and it might be worth the risk for the Bulls if Boston throws in this year and next year's pick as well. So, this is supposedly a deep NBA draft. So, again, even if you don't get the number one pick, remember Greg Oden was once the number one pick, and Kevin Durant went number two. So, really, anything could happen there. Uh, but it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Obviously, the Celtics are in every trade rumor. They're going to be in every trade rumor for the next three weeks. Uh, but 
I think Jimmy Butler would be a good fit, and the Celtics will probably do everything they possibly can uh, to get him. They've been hesitant about trading Brooklyn's first-round picks, but for a player like Butler, he would be an excellent fit, and I wouldn't be surprised if Danny Ainge pulls the trigger for someone like Butler. But that's it for today's podcast. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow, uh, probably talk a little bit more NFL I gave my Super Bowl preview yesterday, so be sure to check that out on my YouTube channel. But until then, I bid you adieu.